all you beautiful people, and welcome to the Glorious in the Mundane podcast. I'm your host, Christy Knuckles. This is my first official podcast of 2021, so let me officially say to you, Happy New Year. I pray that this podcast finds you well, considering dot, 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 (laughs) and I will let you fill in the blank on what those dots are for you in these days, and we can just know that we are all together in the fact that there are dots so many things that we are individually and collectively trusting God for, I know. And I guess it's just a comfort to me to know that we are all together in it. As you know, I am approaching the launch of my first book, The Life You Long For, Learning to Live from a Heart of Rest. It feels like I've been talking about this forever because I kind of have. But that's because we thought the book was releasing in November, so naturally I was already ramping up to the book before then, last fall, and because of COVID, many of you know that it got pushed to this month. And here we are. We are finally officially approaching the launch date of February 16th, and I am so incredibly excited to share this book with you. It's a message that God used to change my life, and I love to think the lives of my family as well over the last 15 years. And to celebrate the release of my book, I decided that I'm going to be inviting some of my dear friends and even family to join me on the podcast this season as we unpack some of the themes in the book. I see us really using a few of the main ideas in this book as little diving boards to talk about living from rest, especially in this unique moment in history. I think we are all looking for insight and encouragement to keep us grounded and enduring faithfully in these days. So I hope that this podcast serves you in that way in this season, and you can be watching for those episodes to unfold over the next several weeks. And also in celebration of the book, I have some exciting news. My team and my publisher have just informed me that for my podcast listeners, we're going to make the first three chapters of my book available to you now. If you pre-order the book or have already pre-ordered at any point, you can simply follow the link in the description of this podcast to show your proof of purchase, and you'll get those three chapters immediately. So just to clarify, even if you pre-ordered back in the fall or even during our Christmas live stream, all of that counts. You simply show your proof of purchase when you follow the link, and those chapters will become available to you right now, which is fun because you can follow along with us in real time. Well, I can't help but think back when I first began this podcast, how I said something to the effect of how I knew that there was eventually going to be a book, but for now, the podcast would be my book. And here we are. I honestly don't even know how many episodes later, and the podcast is still going, which I am so incredibly grateful for. Thank you so much for listening and for following this journey. It has been one of the greatest joys in my life. And now the book is finally releasing. I know that I told a lot of you about this living from rest journey along the way on this podcast and even about living from the bullseye. And you'll be glad to know actually that we included visuals in the book. I'm a visual learner, so that was important to me. And I'm excited just to have this podcast actually to be able to communicate with you along the way as you're reading and just to be able to give you insight on how I've practically lived this and honestly how I'm doing that in these days as I shared before because I think we're all just kind of like 
How do we move forward from here? So I'm encouraged that this podcast will be a place where we can keep using the visual of the bullseye together and the truths that I talk about in this book to help us practically keep living from rest. And I do hope that you find the storyline of, of my story in the book, that it gives you a full picture of how God has used this message in my life. I have a private Facebook group right now, which is my launch team for The Life You Long For. I am so grateful for them. And a few people have said just that, that they've heard me talk about the bullseye before and living from rest, but that reading the whole story gave them so much more context to what it looks like as a spiritual journey. Everyone loves a good story, and mine is definitely woven throughout this entire book, but I also hope that you find those deep spiritual truths as well that will ground you in this moment in time. With that said, today it's just me, and I did that for a reason because I wanted to actually introduce myself to you. That might kind of sound funny because a lot of you have followed me for a while and you feel like you know me at this point. And yes, we might have some new listeners, but mostly I wanted to introduce myself using the parameters that I talk about in the first chapter of the book. I basically propose a scenario where you and I go to coffee together By the way, I look forward to heaven because I think about all the people that I'm finally going to get to have coffee with, and you're one of those people. This has actually been sort of a running joke with several women in my life, especially those who live in other parts of the country, but sadly, actually some of them who live right here in the same town as me, but we're just in different seasons of life. They have little ones who need to take naps several times a day, and I'm on a different schedule, and sadly, we don't meet up as often as we would love to, but we text a lot, and we sigh, and we say, how sweet is heaven going to be when we all finally have time, all the time in the world, actually, to hang out and catch up? I mean, eternity is pretty long, and I like to think that you and I will have ample time to hang out and get to know each other over coffee or tea or water or whatever kind of amazing drinks we'll have in heaven, and we'll actually get to know each other. Anyway, as I was saying, I opened the book proposing that you and I go to coffee, and what if before we began our conversation, someone walks up, sort of a mediator, approaches our table, not a meteorite, although A meteorite probably wouldn't surprise you and I at this point, (laughs) but a mediator, someone who gives us some instructions of how this is going to go down and how our conversation should play out. So he basically instructs us. I don't know why it's a guy, but in my head, it's a guy. He, He instructs you and I that we're only able to introduce ourselves by sticking to our interior lives and matters of the heart, meaning that in introducing ourselves, We cannot refer to or allude to anything that we do in terms of vocation, career, ministry, or trade. Well, I tell you in the book how basically there was a time in my life that I would have been a bumbling mess in trying to introduce myself to you without using the crutch of my career, which I definitely tend to lean on when describing who I am to someone else. I remember even when I laid down my career for a time, I would still at least take comfort in the fact that I had accomplishments from my past that I could talk about or look back on, and I still had dreams of things that I wanted to see unfold in the future that I could talk about or look forward to. 
because little old me without all those things just felt small and hidden and boring. It's strange, isn't it, how we hold on to these things like we do or why they seem to make us feel better about ourselves, even more seen, known, and even loved in some cases. There's no denying that in the world's economy, which I would say is opposite of God's economy, that our exterior lives do appear to hold more value. This is something that's integrated into our lives even at a really young age. I can't help but think of the well-meaning and even innocent question, what do you want to be when you grow up? Yet growing up and becoming who we always wanted to be, let's face it, looks way more like growing up and doing what it is we feel we're supposed to be doing with our lives. For some of us, that has panned out. And for others, you're still waiting for the day to step into what it is you feel called to do. But regardless, we spend a lot of our days and our resources trying to get to this place of our career and our dreams unfolding. So to think of not including it when trying to describe who we are, we're not sure what to do with that. That Facebook group that I was telling you about earlier, my launch team, this question was actually proposed to them. How would you introduce yourself to the group if you had to only stick to your interior life or matters of the heart? Who are you without including what you do? Who really are you and what do you really long for? Well, I have to tell you, I got tears in my eyes as I read each of their answers. A lot of them started by saying, I'm not really sure what to say here. Some of them said like they had to go away and then come back because it just took a while to be able to describe who they are without including anything about what they do. You and I were made for more than just what we do in this life. You know this. (laughs) In fact, I'd go as far as saying that we limit ourselves when we put the highest value on our exterior lives and what we can accomplish. We are layers deep, body, soul, and spirit. And the whole of who we are, that's W-H-O-L-E, the whole of who we are is not what we do. We know this, as I said before, but so often we truly measure our worth by what we're able to get done in this life, what we're able to build. So much that we have to think long and hard about how to separate our exterior lives from our interior lives. Yeah, I'm here to say that ordering our interior lives to live from God changes our exterior lives. In fact, it gives God permission, I believe, to show up in our exterior lives like we never thought possible. Our worth can get so intertwined with what we do in this life, so much that it can be devastating when what we're building gets pulled out from underneath us. It can also be the greatest gift to begin to see ourselves in the wholeness of who we really are. You know what I was most blown away about in reading those Facebook introductions? How much we all actually have in common when you strip everything back. We have a lot of the same desires and longings and fears and worries. We all have that core ache that we've talked about before on this podcast. Romans 8 tells us what the ache is. When you boil it all down, we all long to belong. 
Just the other night, I sat around the table with our community group women, just a small group of us. The men meet in another room and the women meet together. And my friend Christy led us so beautifully and basically just asking us, how did we come to the table that night? Sort of, where are you right now? How do you come to this table tonight? She put some parameters on the conversation as well. She asked us to leave out our circumstances, which again, when you think about it, that's really hard to do, isn't it? And she also asked us to resist the urge to quickly speak into one another's lives, which is also hard to do. When someone says something hard or they're in pain or they're hurting, you want to encourage right away, right? You want to say truth. You want to speak in. And at first I was like, this feels kind of impossible. Like this is going to be hard. (laughs) And then we prayed and we asked Jesus to help us articulate where we were in that moment and how we came to the table that night. And I have to tell you that it was one of the most sacred moments that I've maybe ever had with a group of women. As we each went around the table to share, it caused us to just have to sit in the moment together. I don't know if you can hear that rain. It feels like it just dropped just the right time on this podcast. I'm sorry if it's bothering you and you hear it, but it's actually comforting me in this moment. But we sort of just had to hold the tension and the pain and the fear and the worry and the weariness together in that moment. And it was so sacred. And you know what? It felt holy. We did go on to share later about our circumstances, but what I kept thinking about was that first moment of when we stripped everything away and we just said, this is how I come. What I said that night is, and I'll go ahead and tell you, was that I'm agitated in my spirit and I'm afraid to hope. I described it like when you're laughing with friends, but then you remember that thing that is heavy, like a rain cloud over you. (laughs) And it draws you back into being afraid to laugh and hope. But then I said, on the other hand, I felt at peace being at that table and that I was glad to be there, which I think that speaks of that longing, right? That ache that we all long to belong, to be at the table with people who will help hold just the tension of where we are. There was something about looking around the room and hearing from those women and just looking into each other's eyes, literally. It just felt so loving of God to give us that moment to stop and assess where we were individually. But then it was this beautiful moment collectively together I wanted to tell you this story because my hope for you is that if you don't have that kind of table in your life right now to gather around, it's worth seeking out. It's worth praying for it. Or maybe your table is supposed to be that place where you invite some people around it. Wear masks if you need to wear masks or do a Zoom call if you need to do a Zoom call, but we need each other in these days. Another question that Christy asked us that night and this is where we were free to talk about our circumstances, is she asked, where are you having to have defiant joy right now? And I'll be real with you, and I'll tell you what I said. Where I'm having to choose defiant joy is that my mama is facing cancer. You'll start to hear this news here and there, and my patrons have known this for a while on Patreon, But I talked about it on a friend's podcast that will air at a later time, so you might hear that. But I I wanted to say it here first. We found out in September, actually, if you'll remember when I bought those little ducklings, 
hope and dream, that was the week that we found out. Those ducklings were actually a part of my defiant joy even that week, and they've continued to be a source of just joy and sweetness in my life, as silly as that sounds. But I never, ever imagined this for my mama or my dad or our family, but this is how I come to the podcast today. Choosing the trust and surrender that leads to rest. As you can imagine, we as a family covet your prayers in this season. We are believing and asking God for healing and to add to the years of my mama's life. We're asking God to give great wisdom to my parents on every step in this journey as she fights this. So that's how you can pray. And also just for my brothers and I, Eric and Sean, as we come around them in these days. If you watched our Christmas special, it will give you a lot of context as to why we've chosen to attend the church where my dad is pastoring right now. It's actually just a few minutes from our door, and we're leading worship there in this season on a regular basis as a way of serving them, but also just the honor of getting to be near them in this season. I love getting to sit by my mama and just put my arm around her on Sunday mornings, and I just enjoy getting to be beside her. It's a sacred and holy space of just holding the tension with her right where she is. I wonder how you come to this podcast today. How do you come to this table of sorts? Where are you? Even leaving out your circumstances. If you and I were really to get to have that coffee today, like, what would you tell me? Where are you today? You might even want to stop this podcast and just tell Jesus where you are. He already knows your circumstances, so you don't even have to say those out loud. But I wonder if in telling Him out loud really where you are, it might help you to release where you are to Him, to let Him sit with you in the tension, in the pain, in the mess, and in the brokenness. He is that sacred and holy place. And He is right there. He's beside you. He's holding the tension with you. On that note, my name is Christy. (laughs) I'm the youngest of three siblings, and I was the only girl on both sides until my only girl cousin was born when I was 20. Because of that, I was actually a bit of a tomboy growing up. In fact, side note, I once beat up a little boy when I was seven. He was bullying me, and he crossed the line, and I completely lost it, and I beat him up. I remember I tore his shirt, and I made his nose bleed. So there's that. (laughs) But anyway, I was a seminary baby, born in Fort Worth, Texas, but mostly grew up in the flat and dusty plains of Oklahoma. I'm from a part of the country where a tornado shelter definitely seals the deal when you're looking for a house. I feel like I was a super ordinary kid. I don't know that my mom would tell you that, but I think I was very ordinary. I was raised with a healthy fear of tornadoes, actually, and a heart full of wanderlust that I had no idea what to do with. When you're a pastor's daughter raised in a small town, there's really nowhere you can wander and not be found. (laughs) My memories are actually quite few of my childhood. That's probably because they were all funneled through my fourness, if you know the Enneagram at all. Fours overall see themselves as unique, but they also many times carry a deep sense that they are uniquely flawed. 
Because of this, I spent a lot of my childhood feeling that I was sort of peripheral to the world around me and that I didn't really fit anywhere. I'll never forget reading The Sacred Romance in the late 90s by Brent Curtis and John Eldridge. There was something so rapturing about Brent's account of when the romance first called to him. That's capital R as in God. When God first called to him as a boy on their 120 acres of New Jersey farmland. I wanted to pack my bags and spend the summer there as he described how something warm and alive and poignantly haunting would call to him from the mysterious borders of that farm that was his world. He shares how he would walk toward the mystery, past the corrals where the cows rested and down through rows of dark green corn. His encounter with the great romancer, the Spirit of God, would land him at their creekside, where tens of thousands of streamside musicians sang to him the magic stories of the farms and forests. I mean, I don't know about you, but he had me at romance calling. (laughs) I guess because I'm a romantic at heart, I've had to get over the fact, and I know I've told you this before, that my first talks with God were on a concrete perch in the backyard, just off of our laundry room. And I did mean to say perch because it was too small to be a porch. Thankfully, He is a God who shows up on perches and porches because at the age of six or seven, this is the spot where I first felt Him near and I even talked to Him out loud. It was also the spot where once or twice I sampled a handful of dog food (laughs) I think I've told you that too before. I remember feeling such shame because I didn't not like it. (laughs) And isn't that the way it goes? Just when the romance calls, shame slithers in with anything it can find to make you feel like you're not okay. When I outgrew the perch, I could be found in my bedroom wearing headphones that were plugged into my favorite possession on earth, my record player. I could still sing you word for word every song I grew up performing in front of the mirror, hairbrush, microphone, and all. When I wasn't on stage in my bedroom, I was out in the garage singing because I loved the acoustics. In my tweens, I upgraded to a boombox the size of a kitchen sink, and this is where I came alive. So singing started in my interior life and began just as a means of communication between me and God. It was all so raggedy and now that I look back on it, (laughs) but at the time it might as well have been my very own Narnia. And thankfully I didn't have social media to tell me otherwise. What a gift that I didn't know what everyone on the entire planet was doing 24-7. I can't even tell you how much I wish I could give that gift to my children for them to be able to grow up in a world without social media I don't mean to get on a soapbox about it. I do understand that social media can be used for good. It is redeeming. It can be. It's helping me get the word out about my book, and I believe in this message so much. And it's certainly connected the church worldwide. There are good things, but for the most part, it feels like a giant vortex in which things can get lost. (laughs) Things like one's worth, our vision, our confidence, purpose, and significance. I don't like it for a lot of reasons for all of us, but I am glad that it connects us. Uh, Let's see what else. I'm stubborn and spirited, but I can also be really sensitive. I'm super casual. I actually don't enjoy getting dressed up. 
I enjoy making people feel at home and like they don't have to get dressed up and they don't have to perform. I can be easily agitated, but I'm quick to want peace and resolve and rest. I like to laugh. I know that I don't show you my humor enough, but my friends say that it's definitely there. (laughs) My favorite day would be watching movies with my kids or going antiquing with a close friend. I mean, my dream day would be walking around Paris with Nathan and eating croissants. He knows this. I have a thing for croissants, and I would love to have a thing for Paris. We've never gotten to go. We actually contemplated it for our 25th, which was June of 2020, but thank the Lord, we didn't make any travel arrangements or spend any money on plans to go to Paris then. But I think because Nathan and I have traveled for ministry for so many years, we just love being home. Home is good. Under a blanket with a good movie, some popcorn with truffle salt on it, and then maybe some dark chocolate peanut butter cups from Trader Joe's. I'm a sucker for a good story, and I still think the greatest story of all time is the story that God is writing, that we're right in the middle of. It is captivating to me. It inspires me, and I love it. I love Jesus. That's something that I feel like got deposited in me when I was really little. And I need Him every day, every hour. I need Him. I think I've told you before that I helped write the song called, Lord, I Need You, while sitting around a farm table with a group of friends. And I wrote the part that says, teach my song to rise to you when temptation comes my way. And it goes on to say, when I cannot stand, I'll fall on you. Jesus, you're my hope and stay. My heart is that you've been reminded today that there's so much more to who you are than what you're trying to carry, what you need to get done this week or what's expected of you or what you feel the pressure to build and sustain. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are deeply complex in the most beautiful way. There's little things that you love. You have a way about you. Circumstances aside, you come to the table today with things you maybe haven't had the time to just sit with and identify. The wholeness of who you are is body, soul, and spirit. You have things in the body that you're up against today. Physical ailments, maybe limitations, or things that just the Bible calls flesh. We all have a tendency to try to fall back on that. There's a temptation there to fall back into old patterns that have already been crucified with Christ if you're a believer. You have things in your soul, your mind, your emotions, your will. This is where your personality comes from. There's a lot there. And even decisions get made in this part of you based on how you're thinking and feeling. And then there's your spirit. If you're a believer, you're born of God's spirit. And there's an Abba cry that was awakened in you that testifies within you today that you belong to the Father. I could go on and on about who you are and we haven't even had that coffee yet. I don't even know what it is you do or have done or will do. I just know that who you are is fearfully and wonderfully made. And there's a God who loves you and sees you. And He is right there with you today. He's not mad at you. He's not disappointed in you. He just knows that you have a place in your heart for Him and there's a place in His heart for you. 
And living from this God who loves you and sees you is the greatest treasure that you'll ever know this side of heaven. He is ultimately what you are longing for. I want to pray for you right now as we close that no matter the circumstances, because those will always shift and change, right? I want to pray that God will reveal to you and to me just where we are today and how much we are worth in Him. Aside from anything and everything that's on your plate that you've got to show up and do today, body, soul, and spirit, you are layers deep in the most beautiful way. And He wants to meet you in those layers and have you experience who He is in each of those places that He so intricately made, beautifully made. God, I pray for this group of people who are listening, even at different times, I believe, by Your Spirit as we listen, Lord. It's almost like we're collectively around a table together. I pray for anyone listening today, God, that You would give them the words to articulate to You how they come to the table today. Lord, that they would have the courage to open their mouth and like use their words out loud with you to communicate with you, Jesus. And I thank you that you are a God who comforts, Lord. You are the God who sits beside us, Lord, with your arm around us. You are that sacred and holy place, Lord. You hold the tension with us today, God. You are with us. I pray that the listeners today, God, would be reminded of who they are, Lord, the wholeness of who you made them, God. It's so much more than they can even fathom, God. Would you begin this journey in their lives, God, so that they can uncover the beautiful identity that they have in you, God. That those who are believers, Lord, have been born of your spirit and that your spirit in them testifies today that they belong to you, God. I pray that you would reawaken that Abba cry in all of us in this season, God, so that we would let that ground us, God. The fact that we cry out within us today, Father, Abba, Daddy, we belong to you. We are your people. You have not abandoned us. You are here with us. And I pray, God, that as we live from that place of who you are and that we belong to you, God, that we would then share that, let it pour out from us to the world around us, God, so that we're not drawing from ourselves. We're not drawing from a place that's uh, empty or that has a shelf life that runs dry because we all know that in and of ourselves, we run dry. We get tired, God. We, we're weary. We get exhausted. But we thank you, God, that your word says that when we wait on you, that our strength gets exchanged for yours, God, your endless supply of strength, Lord. And that's what we need in this day. We need you, God. So as we wait before you and we acknowledge where we are today, God, let us see you for who you are. Eyes on you today to understand that you are looking back at us as we look to you, Lord. Your word says that your eyes are roaming to and fro today throughout the whole earth seeking to show yourself strong to those who would just turn towards you today. And that's what we want to do. God, we thank you that you are with us in this place. God, thank you for reminding us today. You're with us and that you've made us wonderfully. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening today. I am so excited to go on this journey with you of what it looks like to live from a place of rest 
even in this moment in history, it's going to be a beautiful journey together. I'll talk to you soon.